Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome back. This is part two of my stomp with Adam Kay in Oxfordshire. Adam, you've, you've had such an incredible success with your books. And I've read all of them, got them on my shelf. And you know some books you have on your shelf you haven't read? Yours are the kind I have read. So that's <laughs> good. And there's a lot of people <laughs> like me who can admit that they do collect some books that they maybe don't end up reading. Oh no, we all, we've, we've all got those, but, uh, but mine have got lots of disgusting bits in. So which of, uh... which we're, all, we're all, I think human nature, we're interested in things and finding out about things that maybe aren't very nice. I don't know where that comes from, but we're, we, I don't I know think, what intrigue I think we're all still five-year-olds, aren't we? And <laughs> yes. a, we pretend a to story, be a certain story way. About, stories about bodily fluids or something. I, I, suspect, I mean, I'm not the first person by, um, by a million books to, um, to, to write about working in a hospital, but uh, I, think, I think that's the, that's the point of difference that, may, <laughs> that maybe made it popular, just, uh, just going full out re- revolting. So you, you worked in, uh, you were an obviously guy in registrar, and yeah. um, that, was, that was the point that you decided to, to move away from medicine in that yeah, way. Um, I, did, I actually did an F2 job uh, in Lewisham Hospital and O&G, and so when I was kind of reading it and also seeing the series and stuff, I was like, well, yep, it can be <laughs> quite yes. scary sometimes. Yes. Was, it, was, it, was it a difficult decision moving away, and, and how, how has it been getting used to what is now you know, an incredible platform in, in what you do with your writing and comedy, of course. So medicine was the path that was sort of laid out for me, I guess. And I'm not generally, or wasn't previously a, a rabble rouser or the kind of person who'd, you know, blow his life up potentially. But I had a very bad day at work. And obviously if you're working on a labor ward, all you ever want is, a healthy mum plus a healthy baby and this was one of these terrible situations where we ended up with neither and I was the most senior person on the ward and I sort of realised that I wasn't, I don't know, I didn't have the emotional armour to deal with it and I knew that it is, I realised it's just part of the job and inevitably it would happen again and and I, I, I needed to, to step away. And um, at the time, there wasn't a huge amount of support for people who were struggling Burnt in out. medicine. Yeah. And I mean, it's better now. It's got a long way to go. But at the time, it was a sort of taboo. Doctors didn't leave. Yeah. You're a bloody doctor and you bloody get on with it. That's the, <laughs> that's the medical, the, yeah, that the damaging medical ethos. Yeah. But um, I left and you sort of ask, you ask about my platform and I guess it's a case of using your powers for good rather than evil. And, uh, and for me, that means helping other people who might find themselves in a similar mm situation to know that they're not a failure because they've found themselves crying in a locker room in fact most 
doctors, I would say, mm. at some stage, find themselves crying in a locker room. And the fact that no one would talk about it means that on top of your awful day that's had you, you know, sitting there in tears, you, you're feeling like you're different mm. and you're, you just can't cope. And we need to be honest about this, I think, that the taboo, for want of a better word, of um, mental health of healthcare professionals. Let's be honest, I mean, the mental health of a lot of doctors, it's pretty bad. It is. I, I think, you know, we could be honest about that. There's a recent survey done um, with, with surgeons and it found, you know, it was, it, was, it was the numbers off the top of my head is 70 or 80% had signs of either burnout, anxiety or depression or a mixture of those. Mm. And that's, you know, you think that's a significant number of that workforce who it's, are it's, really struggling. It's a, it's a crisis. It's a real crisis. And the NHS worries about recruitment and retention of staff. And it has to worry about it. But unless you address mm. the people who, uh, who find themselves struggling. And here's, a, here's, a, here's an even worse statistic about, about doctors. One doctor in the UK takes their life every three weeks, yeah. which is it's unthinkable. And, um, and that's, a, you know, that's something that's very close to my heart for, for many reasons. Yes, and in course. fact, we um, recently planted a, a tree at Ealing Hospital uh, in the TV version yeah. of this is going to hurt there's a yeah, major spoiler for anyone who's uh, who, who's not seen it but it centers around the mental health of doctors and it, mm -hmm. it culminates in the the death by suicide and then memorial for uh, a fictionalized junior doctor called yeah. Shruti and uh, I started getting people tweeting me mm. uh, which is sort of my predominant form of social media saying it's usually bad news to be fair yeah, no, it is. It is. But this was this was people saying um, they recognised the you know the architectural beauty of uh, Ealing Hospital um, and were sort of and, and sort of wandered wandered round where we shot that scene mm. and said I was looking for that that tree the memorial and then I felt silly that I couldn't find it but I realised it's not silly at all there should mm. be a memorial yes. I found out that until we planted this tree and put up this plaque there was no memorial in the UK to healthcare staff uh, who've lost their lives to suicide mm. and so we you know we we, we did that and it, it was it was moving and felt important and, and I was pleased that it got a, a bit of press and it's doing it won't make any difference in and of itself but it raises awareness that this is a an issue because until you acknowledge a problem how are you ever going to yeah. start to Well, it's kind of like it. when you look at, um, you know, people say, well, how do I kind of fix my life or sort out my own mental health? Awareness is the first thing. You cannot do anything without awareness of the issue. And that's the same on a kind of a larger scale with, with the NHS and the kind of workforce. You have to have an awareness of what the issue is. And I think the stigma around doctors and mental health is huge. I started um, Post Your Pill, a campaign um, for people basically taking pictures or posting, taking their mental health medication yeah. Yeah. to tackle what is a massive stigma. And I was, I was actually really nervous before posting it. And a lot of my friends are doctors saying, oh gosh, is this a good idea? Are you sure about this? And I said, no, wh why is it any different to like a blood pressure or something else? You know, why does it matter? So, it, but it is such a thing, isn't it? And amongst healthcare professionals, it is certainly, people are so afraid to admit, you know what? I'm actually quite upset about that patient that died. Yes. It's a huge thing, and until the last few years, and even now in a lot of places, but when I started in A&E, I'm not sure people would ever admit they were upset about someone dying, even if it was a horrific no, case. No, there's this strange 
I don't know what it is, machismo, that you sort of have drummed into you at, um, from medical school. And um, in my new book is all about how we train our doctors. Are we picking the right people? Are we being honest about what the job involves? And how are we preparing people for the mm. fact that, you know, it's the, an awful fact of the job that people will die. Mm. And you're taught how to break bad news, mm. but you're not taught how to deal, how with, to deal with. And obviously, yeah. it's like in physics, like Newton or whoever, every action has an equal and opposite yes. reaction. Yes. It's never equal what comes back to you as a doctor, no. but there is always an opposite reaction. Yeah. And we have to acknowledge that and we need to have ways of dealing with it and I I had a way of dealing with it it was you know a slightly rubbish way of dealing mm. with it which was writing stuff down in my diary mm. looking for the it's funny stuff a good way to deal with it it's it's it is there are positives to it but there's there's only so much use it can be yeah there's a sort of it has a a maximum efficacy mm-hmm. and I was in situations which exceeded what writing in a diary could do for me, looking for the funny stuff and the silly stuff and reflecting on what had happened. And, you know, and I, you know, my two coping mechanisms were humour, you know, writing that I was basically what that was, which I'd been taught at medical school. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this tradition of, a you know, humor, getting up yes. on stage and doing you know, terrible sketches or whatever. And white wine, which was the other thing I was taught at medical school, yeah. where it, this, there's this very, slightly unpleasant, I think, when I was there, boozy culture. I think amongst medics, it's, it's, it feels to me, certainly working in my early, early years, I started 2015 at King's and then going on to Lewisham, it really felt like to me that that was like, it almost was like the accepted thing. If you have a bad day, let's go to the let's go to the local pub and, and drink yeah. quite a long alcohol. I was taught that at medical school. So my first my first week of medical school, um, for some reason, your the, the way you learn anatomy uh, uh, certainly when I was there was by cutting up a cadaver, yeah. hu- a human body, and it's it's been shown not to be the best way to teach someone anatomy, but it's just tradition, and we do these traditions. <laughs> Thankfully and it changed when I went to med school. We, I went to one where we did it, uh, which I believe is accepted now, the better way of doing it is using either um, models or actually a lot of using like pro technology, yeah, pro oh, section yeah. and technology and yeah. sticking on Brilliant. VR even and stuff like that. Yeah, so. I mean, that's, of course that makes more sense. And so, but I was there as an idiot 18 year old, just left home, with a scalpel cutting through human flesh. And that was hugely traumatising. But what you did afterwards, the medical school sanctioned thing, was off down the med school bar, which was literally inside the hospital. Yes. And that becomes your normal. That's what you're taught. And, you know, I'm not a Puritan. I'm not saying we shouldn't, you know, allow people to blow off steam and unwind. But at the same time, if that is the pretty co- much the, the only thing you're told <laughs> is the way to uh, is the way to get through life's like, difficulties or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and then it's that's a difficult one to shake. And um, likewise, my humour, I think, yeah, I think I was, I was sort of, I've always been a sort of class clown to some extent. But um, <laughs> humour was something we were encouraged to 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 do. It's you know, it's potentially why there are yeah. so many people in comedy. This is enormous tradition of uh, of comedians in uh, who used to be doctors from Monty Python to to Harry Hill and 
Yeah, for sure. Many I'm, in between. It is, and there is an element, I think, that, that kind of dark, that dark kind of humour does seem to kind of get you through, but it doesn't feel like there needs to be something kind of tangible more than that. And but the thing I'm glad about, which has changed quite a lot in certainly the hospital, I was in Lewisham. When I started at Lewisham, I wouldn't say there was a huge amount of obvious support. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, by the time the pandemic happened, they created like a direct call line for doctors to actually speak directly with counsellors, yes. direct access to into support, where first aid, mental health first aid trained staff on the floor, as in, as in yep. different members of the team, That's where brilliant. the mental health lead is one of the consultants, and like yeah. there has been a bit of a shift, so I think that is a really good thing, and if you are a medic listening and you're in a hospital that doesn't have those things, I think you should be really asking why, and really encouraging that culture to change, and I think we're all part of it, and I'd like to think top down, we need the consultants and the managers and all these yeah. things leading it, but actually we should all ask the question and say, well, you know, what is there here to support us? Yeah, in, the good, the, in the good times, the good we time. need to yeah, ask the good times. who is the, if, you know, when the days aren't like this, who's the person I can go to? Because I, for years, sadly, of my work, I don't know who that person would have yeah. been. And, you know, if you're a, you very quickly become a manager mm. when you're a doctor yeah, yeah. because it's very, very hierarchical. A bit like yeah. the army. There's a, there's a thousand ranks yeah. and every year or two you move up a, move up a rank. And, um, and then, you've, so from year two, you've got someone junior to you. And just ask yourself the question if you've got someone junior to you. And it's not, this isn't just specific to medicine. Yeah. This, is, this is anything. If that person is struggling, would they be able to approach me? Mm. And it might just be a case of every six months inviting them out for a bowl of pasta. So yeah. they know that you exist in a world where you're not just talking about patient Cases X or, or spreadsheet Y or whatever, whatever your, your job involves. There's a, it actually reminds me, there was a few years ago, one of my, one of my friends called me, um, who was a surgical doctor, um, registrar, and one of his team members, junior team members, actually while he's on shift, took, took their own life. Oh. Which is, and I remember the phone call, and he, and he, and he said to me, what, what, what do we, how do we, why, how, does, how do we change this? And it just, it, it affects everyone all around, and people often just go, well, I didn't, didn't realise it, didn't, didn't know. And it's just, to me, it's one of, what, a real shame on the, and a shameful reflection on the whole of society, that people will get to the point of, of taking their own lives before actually asking for help and, and getting help. And, and I think it says a lot about, how they must feel so alone and helpless and that no one can help them. Yeah. They'll make such a permanent decision. Yes. And there are some professions where the rates are higher than others and the medical professions are, um, healthcare professions are amongst those. And so we need to find out why we need to do something yeah. about it. And to anyone listening as well, obviously what we're talking about is it could be hard to hear. And, uh, and I'd like to say that, you know, for anyone who's listening, whether you're a medic or not, if you're struggling, please do ask for help. You know, there's always hope for a better day. Reach out. We'll be leaving the show notes uh, source of support. But I would say, please, you know, make sure you do ask for help. Either seeing your GP, have a look on Hub of Hope as well. If you Google Hub of Hope or whatever search engine you use, uh, it provides a source that you can basically put. Um, you can put a postcode in or wherever you live, and it'll tell you all the kinds of different charities and NHS support that are in your area. It's a fantastic actually site that's been collating support services. So please take a look at that. Don't lose hope talk to someone. Absolutely and specifically within medicine people often don't feel that they can talk to people within mm. their own hospital their own trust whatever it is and so there are 
people like the, the practitioner health program yes, yes. Um, who are specifically set up for that, 100% anonymous, totally free, no one will ever find out unless you, unless you specifically want them to. There are charities like Doctors in Distress and the Laura Hyde Foundation set up to make sure that there is always a place for people to turn. One of my friends accessed the practitioner health program and they said it was absolutely incredible the support they had. They, they, they saw, they saw um, therapists or support very, very quickly and it was that confidential aspect which I think is really important. Let's have a chat about your new book because, and I said this just before we started, your publication date is September the 15th. Uh, which An auspicious is, date. And, <laughs> which <laughs> is the same date that my uh, children's book, A Better Day, is released. Now, I, I'm very excited to hopefully get a copy, maybe even early, can I get an early copy? Yeah, no, no, oh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make that. I, and I will again, I'll it'll, it'll go in my collection of red books on the shelf, yes. don't you worry, it won't go in the other pile. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what the book contains. What, what is, because you focus so on, you know, your previous or other books were really looking at, you know, life on the, on the wards and stuff. I understand this book is kind of like life after, is that fair? It's sort of two things. It's life before and life after. It looks at how, what's happened after blowing up my life, explores the idea I love how you of... you put it blowing up. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's increasingly something that people... has occurred to them. You yeah. know, this enormous tidal wave of COVID has made people reassess what their lives look like and and people are you know they're they're, they're changing their job they're, they're they're changing big things in their lives you know just or little things like moving out mm. to the moving out to a different place and so it looks at looks at that a bit and it focuses on the embarrassing number of times i've been a patient and looking at what it's like to to use the health service from the other side and the other thing the book does is it looks back to medical school and asks how that's affected me mm. and how I've become. I'm, I'm very bad at asking for help, whether it's not just on the mental side of things, but even physical illness. The amount of stuff that I've just muddled through, walking on broken ankles for three days. There was a, I avoided neurosurgery because I was, I sort of convinced my um, then boyfriend, now husband, that it, I didn't need to worry about the fact that my leg had stopped working. Oh, um, if your leg stopped working, listeners, stompers, please do go and see a doctor. Please, yeah, but... <laughs> Don't follow Adam. Adam's you're, like, you're, on that one. But I was almost taught at medical school that it was a Get failing... Exactly. And it's in, that it's sort of embarrassing to see it. It's like being a, a car mechanic, taking your car to a different mechanic. Surely you could just sort that out on your own, but you can't. That's nonsense. What can I do to, to, to sort that out? And also thinking about, um, my, my dad worked as a doctor, and uh, when we were growing up, almost anything was, was handled in-house. I've got a sort of scar on my forehead there from a yeah, ham-fisted uh, repair. I mean, can you imagine doing that in your, no. in your house? I mean, I think... When I was a child, uh, I think that's, you've probably phoned plastics now, don't you, in a yes, child with a, with a big Certainly head injury. Oh, you'd have had a pretty good go at dialysis if the need, uh, if, if the need arose. Um, <laughs> and so I grew up with that, and then I went from that environment to medical school. And um, so it's, it's, all, it's all about that and what that's left me with and how I'm now trying to recalibrate. Do you think part of it is also not even just being a medic, being a man? Uh, the kind of male 
thing of like, I look at it in my dad, I certainly look at my patients that have come to A&E in the past, this kind of like, oh, I've had chest pain for three days, let's just carry on, it must be the heartburn, oh, that gavs gone didn't work, let's, yeah. let's just I carry think that, on. That, there's a lot of things that overlay, and that's not, ex it's obviously not exclusive no. to men, that, but it's, it's it a lot in men, I think there's, uh, it, there's, there, there, there's cultural overlay as well, and uh, I, I think I was this sort of mess of all these different reasons why I failed to, to, get, to get help. And um, you know, I, I've ended up, uh, I talk about becoming unwell, quite significantly unwell in a couple of ways and, uh, and making matters worse for myself by doing the opposite of what I would tell my patients to do. I've definitely seen that. I, mean, I, I, I think what is fantastic that you've done with each book is that, and I, something I'm really passionate about, is you, you're basically pulling the curtains on a lot of issues that I think sometimes we kind of, not brush to the carpet, we, we don't face head on. And I think medicine over the years has been very afraid to open the doors and say, do you know what? Things can go really wrong in obstetrics. Things can be really hard on the wards. Yes. Things can be stretched. And I think the pandemic has also done a little bit of that, but I think you really were, were ahead of the kind of field, and ahead of the game almost, and say, do you know what, <laughs> actually, can be pretty rough in the hospital and the stuff that we see and we, we get through is actually pretty hardcore at times. I think it's I think it's important. I think a lot of what I write is a confidence trick. So people buy it because it says on the front cover that it's, you know, this celebrity says it's funny or this that celebrity says it's disgusting and um but ultimately it, it probably, you know, hopefully it is funny, definitely it is, it is disgusting, but also I, I want people to end up thinking a bit more about the people who look after them, because that's what I took they away are just from human. It. That's what I took away from it. Like I laughed, I cried, and actually even watching, I've watched the series and I've read the books and, and I relate quite frankly to a lot. You know, I, I kept saying I, I relate to this, I relate to this, and I think what's really amazing is that I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of healthcare professionals will certainly relate to reasonably amount, a reasonable amount of it. it it's, it's the fact that you come away and go like, we are just people. At the end of the day, regardless if you're a professor or whatever, you're a person. So listening to you talk about um, you know, stories of yourself ignoring illnesses, um, I have one of my own. Um, I was on shift in a &E, actually midsummer, kind of like this. Um, I think it was like 2017 in, in, in Lewisham and, and it was a busy day. I was in recess and I remember looking at a few septic patients and you know, different kind of things you're seeing. And throughout the day I started feeling a bit rough and I thought, oh gosh, I feel, don't feel that great. And all of a sudden I kind of felt a bit febrile, a bit feverish. Oh God, I'm good. Let's get to the end of the shift. I've got an hour to go. Let's get <laughs> yep. to the end of the shift. Get to the end of the shift. will be fine. And at the time I was cycling back to Canada Water where I was living. And I got on the bike to cycle home and I really struggled to actually make it the few miles home from there. God, I don't know what's wrong with me today. Had a shower, thought, oh God, I really am starting to feel a bit rough. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I maybe I should just like check my pulse and stuff. Oh, and my yeah. pulse was going at a rate of knots. And I thought, oh yeah, maybe I'm unwell. And I thought, I'm not gonna ring an ambulance. I'd honestly, I remember saying to myself, I'd rather die than ring an ambulance. <laughs> okay, because I really was uh, starting yeah. to feel Classic rough at this doctor. point. Uh, I dragged myself to the tube, got on the tube, by which point my hands went mottled, which any medics listening will know yeah. is a really bad look. And I got off at Westminster Bridge, and Londoners will know that on one side you've got the Jubilee Line, Westminster Bridge, and the other side you've got St. Thomas's. So I dragged myself across, and bear in mind, so I finished work at five. It was a nice early, it was a nice normal time to finish actually, five o'clock. Um, this was about seven. I dragged myself across the bridge, genuinely feeling I was going to collapse. 
managed to get into the doors of St. Thomas's and I walked to the desk and um, the receptionist thought I was drunk because um, at which point <laughs> I was really yeah. staggering and kind of cognitively Oof. going a bit funny. Luckily, a triage nurse walked past and was like, oh, he doesn't look He's right. He's sick, yeah. And I did actually say the words, look, I'm not making this up. I'm a doctor. I've just come from A&E. And I think the lady behind the, bless her, the reception is kind of like, mm. <laughs> I think everyone <laughs> says you that. Are. Of course yeah. you are, lad. <laughs> uh, thankfully, they grabbed me and I ended up in recess with, with sepsis and I had a, a week-long stay. I was very Oof. grateful, very, very, very lucky. The care I received was unbelievable. I'm internally grateful to St. Thomas. I think my new score was like 12 or something for any medics Ooh. listening. Not good. Anyway, I made it through. And you cycled three miles a couple uh, of hours before. Uh, five, five miles, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I five o'clock left shift and I was literally in the bed in recess at uh, I think it was like 7.30. But Goodness the me. point was I, I was too proud to say anything that was unwell in the hospital I was in, yeah. which might have been a good idea. Um, and you knew you were ill. And I knew I was ill. And then I avoided calling an ambulance, by which point I'd have told anyone else to call an ambulance. And, yep. I, and I look back and I reflect and think, how stupid was I? I remember lying in the bed in recess thinking, if I die because of this, it's because I'm a plonker and I didn't call, get yes. help. And I think from that moment onwards, I had a very sharp awakening, not only to vulnerabilities and value of life, but also to just, you know, ask for help. <laughs> Yes. I promised myself that I would if that ever happened again. Yeah, there's a, I think as a doctor, and it probably applies if you're a midwife, paramedic, you know, nurse, whatever, you sort if you go to the doctor, seek help, it would be so embarrassing if there wasn't actually something really wrong with you. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want them to say, oh there's nothing wrong. But the truth is, you know, working in any, most of the time you're saying it will be alright. Yeah. It's you know, the norm isn't quick into yeah, surgery yes, yeah, the norm exactly. is reassurance yeah. but healthcare professionals have such a bad barometer for when to seek help because they want to guarantee they're seeking help when they're definitely unwell which is damaging and dangerous I mean, I, I, I have my own threshold. If I see someone who's a nurse, especially if they're a nurse, because they're just generally quite a hardy lot, if they're a nurse, a doctor, a midwife, and they come to a and &E, I'm always like, right, there's something yes. wrong with this. There, there is something either broken, or there's something that, because <laughs> they will come in for broken limbs, usually, uh, or they're really quite unwell. Yeah. So message there, please, people, just if you feel unwell, whatever it is, it's better for someone to come in. I'd much rather someone come in and go, do you know what, thank God you came in nice and early. We'll treat that as a lot easier than coming in with a really big problem or worse. Yeah. So do you promise this new book then is going to be, I, I mean, I imagine it will be a mixture of the, the kind of the humour and the, you know, the, the kind of harder elements of it, like the other books. Because I tell you what, I think people, people are dying to, to see this new book come, come out. I have no doubt about that. Hopefully it's, it does similar stuff to what I've done before in that I'm congenitally incapable of not trying to be the class clown still <laughs> a long time after I left school. Um, but I'm talking again about some difficult, complicated issues that people will hopefully relate to whether or not uh, they worked in the NHS because we've all encountered the NHS. I think we were born now, there, we will die there, and a few times in between we'll take advantage of their services. I think the timing of this book is, is it couldn't be better in terms of, you know, people are listening now more than ever to what the staff and hospitals, the NHS is going through. And I really, I really hope people read this book and really listen, because there's so much of a truth in it in terms of, 
yeah, what it's really like to work on the wards. And, and I think, to be honest, from what I'm hearing from my friends who are still in the hospitals, it's actually getting harder uh, at the moment. And I'm sure your medic friends yeah, maybe agree sure. with that. I don't think it was ever a particularly relaxing place to work, but I don't think it's ever been harder than it is at the moment. So if you haven't already, make sure you go and pre-order a copy um, ahead of the publication date on the 15th. And why not get a copy of both books? Who knows? A better day as well. You can, you can help your children and learn about the hospital all at the same time. <laughs> what, age, what age group is your book aimed at? 10 plus. Oh, great. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this episode with Adam Kay. If your stomp isn't quite over yet, make sure you go and listen to the final part now or come back to catch up on tomorrow's stomp. See you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.